Welcome to Legal Management Talk, the official podcast of the Association of Legal Administrators. I'm your host, Kate Raftery. Today I'm talking to Lance Brager, the co-founder and CEO of Infinity Wellness Partners. Some of our listeners who attended the 2019 Annual Conference and Expo may remember him from the Recharge Your Health Lounge in the Exhibit Hall. Welcome, Lance. Thanks for coming on the show. So grateful to be here, Kate, and thank you for all the audience members for tuning in and supporting this podcast. Thanks. So you were supposed to bring that programming back at the 2020 Annual Conference, which unfortunately won't be held this year due to the coronavirus pandemic, but you're actually the perfect person to speak to in the midst of this pandemic. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? I would love to let the audience know that I was born to do this work. I truly feel that I get to live my purpose every day. And what that is, is supporting professionals and law firms and legal professionals around the world have the most healthy and productive work life. We strive to create a priority of wellness in the workplace every day. We do that with online and on-site education and training in comprehensive wellness, which we define as fitness, nutrition, mind and body, and ergonomics. Well, great. Let's start a little bit with that that mind part, um, and let's start with maintaining the bond you've established with your staff and the level of productivity you've come to expect from them. How can a leader do that when everyone is working remotely? Kate, it's such a great question. I first want to tune in to the word leader. The one word that most impacts a leader is the word influence. We influence people primarily not through information, but through emotions. We have opportunities to influence our teams remotely by activating emotions for them to take inspired action. One way we do that is through emulating a way that our team can best manage, work, and cooperate together during this time. And I invite all of the leaders to share, inspire, educate, relate, to truly embody that leadership. The second word I'd like to dial into into the question is bond. When you hug someone, there are bonding hormones that are released called oxytocin. I recommend that everyone try to get at least a 20-second hug with anyone in your home or in safe proximity or a pet or a tree or yourself. And so what we want to do is create bonding through trust, honesty, being present, and more than anything, connection. I think the human desire for connection is greater than relationship. And we can do that by expressing personal interest in each of our team members, showing empathy and compassion for what they're experiencing and putting ourselves in their shoes, and helping identify what are their short and long-term goals for this time period and throughout their career. What is most motivating, inspiring to them and bond over helping them 
reach that goal. The other really important part about bonding during this time is in every we relationship, Kate, Mm -hmm. it's at least two I's and everyone is 50%. So 50% I and is the first I and 50% the second I. It's really wonderful to know that your needs for connection and bonding may look completely different than someone else's. Have Take the opportunity to go to each staff member and find out what is their needs and values and expectations for staying in communication during this time. What's their preferred method of communication and connection and bonding? What's the frequency that's ideal for them? What's the amount of time that they feel they would need with you or with the team? That gives you great clues into creating and meeting their needs during this time remotely. That's awesome for for establishing that one-on-one relationship for that really direct manager-employee relationship. But team building isn't all about the formal stuff. This situation has us, I know I am, missing the impromptu conversations and activities that happen around the office. Is there a virtual replacement for that? The answer is yes, and then we figure out how to, Kate. Are you, <laughs> you asked the best questions. I really appreciate this. First, I'd like to start with the word team. Teams have a unified goal and purpose. During this time frame, are, are we very clear? Is our group, our department, our firm clear on what our unified goal and purpose is? Two, we need members of that team and ways to highlight each of their strengths, personalities, and the value that they contribute. They need to know what their role on the team is and how valuable that is. So getting the unified goal and purpose clear, highlighting our members of that team and how their their strengths and unique personalities and contributions are critical to the success. And then now we work on building. And we build through shared experiences vulnerability, empathy, personality, and the great equalizer is humanness. And so we can bring people together with all of these things. You're only limited by your creativity. And guess what? You don't need to know all the answers. You can use your team to help brainstorm different ways to experience this. First, I would recommend Beyond the group team meeting, assigning and rotating one-on-one connections and reporting back on little assignments so that everyone has a chance to interact with the other members of the team and get to grow closer and understand their strengths and their perspective and use their experience. We can have many different virtual and telephonic experiences because we're talking about wellness or I'm a wellness coach you can have all different types of wellness challenges from sleep to water to breakfast to exercise we could have virtual healthy happy hours with mocktails or have a tea or structure a book club or bring your favorite inspiring quote or share a picture 
uh, something that happened to you this week or tell a great story, something that was funny that happened to you while working remotely or share a challenge you had, Mm -hmm. share a stress that you've had, share a fear that you've had and nothing brings people closer together than understanding that they're not alone. Heck, you could play music together, an inspiring song. You could watch a inspiring TED Talk together. So many great ways to bring the group together. The most important part is consistency and creating a shared experience where everyone gets to contribute. Yeah, I, I know I could share some things that our ALAHQ has done, I know, well, actually, the most recent one was that my manager and I were joking about getting on uh, video chat and just playing jock jams to get us pumped up for actual work, (laughs) you know, when we were flagging in the afternoon, perhaps, or we recently, my team had a, a lunch meeting that was just honestly just to like check in make sure everyone's eating lunch and also play around with like the special features on some of the video chat services to you know turn you into some sort of character or something so it was just a quick break from the day but also a way to get together and everything okay that's such a a great idea and you 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 reminded me that you can even take a quick break for some mindfulness maybe some breathing a little meditation Great, great idea. Thanks for sparking that. No problem. Um, So getting back to something you mentioned towards the end of your last answer, I think many of us are realizing that it's more difficult than we thought to work 100% from home, Uh, especially because for a lot of us, everyone else in the household, kids, partners, pets, maybe even elderly relatives are also home. How can we create the boundaries needed to get work done, but also not have that work bleed into the rest of our lives? It's another amazing question. (laughs) I'm curious if you're experiencing this yourself in in your life and... Well, yeah, I, I think when you're at home, uh, it's hard to keep your your hours when you're when you're commuting. You have your set times that you come in and leave. At least I do personally. And then at home, you know, I have a I have a dog and I have a boyfriend who who are here. And yeah, you have to find your time, your quiet times to really buckle down. I think. Well, absolutely, it's a it's a big challenge for many many professionals around the world right now. And I have a couple. Of, thoughts that have been guiding clients and practicing myself. The first bottle that we want to remember, Kate, is the I, we, all. The model, think of it as a tree. The roots, any tree is only as strong and healthy as the root system. And that is the I. I is you, me, and your values and needs. The next level up is the we, as I mentioned earlier, in every we relationship, these are any relationship you're in, you're 50% of that we relationship. And ultimately, our we's lead to the all. And that is everyone in a home, in a company, in a department, in a country, in a city. You can see how it must begin with getting very clear with your personal values, needs, and boundaries. Most people don't think that through. And so it's important to get clear on what are your physical health needs? 
What are your mental health needs? What are your social needs? What are your team professional needs? What are your time needs? Answering that question, I love guiding clients through that. They all ultimately understand what's important to them. Values are what is essential for your health, happiness, and life. After you get clear on your values, it's important to get let the other people in your home express what their values are. An example is a bedtime that may vary within the household. And when you're not living your values and not meeting your needs, it is a recipe for stress, resentment, unhealth or dis-ease, and lack of productivity. But when you are living your values, it's the opposite, and you can be your best for all these we relationships. We can start to establish, co-establish these boundaries with the people in your lives by helping create new expectations and letting them understand what your needs are and explore, are there any values, needs, or boundary clashes? Wouldn't it be great to know ahead of time if my bedtime is going to conflict with someone else's bedtime Mm -hmm. or when I start my work? That's important to know so that we can work on compromising, which means both people in the relationship or partnership move towards the middle rather than one person settling. And then scheduling and creating structure for success. Children do incredibly well. Pets do incredibly well with schedules, structure, and consistency. So do you. I'm learning that a lot of our clients right now that are working remotely are really missing the structure and consistency and rhythm to their days. I'm actually recommending to a lot of clients that used to commute to keep doing that routine. Why don't you get outside of the house when you leave the house at the normal time, but do something different like a walk around the block or go call a family member or friend. Keep the structure and keep the consistency when possible. It's important to know when you are in a new environment, Kate, and time might be compressed because we're taking care of other people's needs, to prioritize correctly. And a great method is the must-do, should-do, would-like-to-do list. Create your productivity list or priority list and then mark them must-dos. These are things that have to get done today, this hour. And if I can complete them today, I can rest easy and have more peace of mind. The should-dos are things that can get done in the next day, two, or three. And then the would-like-to-dos are things that really don't have a technical pressing, demanding, urgent timeline and things that are usually not heavy lifting, things that you enjoy the most. But what happens is most professionals are doing what they'd like to do first, then the should-do, and they wait till the end of the day to do their must-dos, and then... The children need you. The pets need you. Our partners need you. And then you end up having a 14-hour workday. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never done that. (laughs) (laughs) 
So use your must-dos in the morning, Kate, and then you'll make sure that your time when used is getting done on the highest importance. It's important to know that anything that's rigid is most likely going to snap and break. We want to create a resilient, flexible plan, especially during this dynamic, unpredictable time of our work lives. We want to create if-then statements as a backup plan to your goals, your plan, your, your, your structured outline that you've so nicely worked through. An if-then statement allows you to identify what are the potential barriers or obstacles to you reaching your goal or following the plan or your, your schedule and planning ahead or having a backup plan or contingency plan. So let's try to do an example. So, Kate, could you share with us one goal in your day in terms of structure or scheduling that you would like to um, to do during this time? Hmm. I would say I have a goal to get my writing tasks done before 11 a.m. Great one. Goal to get my writing tasks done before 11 a.m. Now, Kate, tell us what are the potential obstacles or barriers that are most common to pop up and get you off track? For one, it would be my email inbox with uh, messages coming in asking for other things. And I guess another would be my my own uh, tendency to sort of get buried in some of the resources I have to read for my writing tasks, for example, um, collecting news. It's very easy to spiral into a news reading frenzy, especially in this period. My gosh, I I totally get it. So email overload and spiraling down resources, I think you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay, so first is I believe there's probably, I bet you know one particular action that you can do on both of those things to help curb that. Could you share one thing about your your inbox and email and one thing about the spiraling with education and how could you curb that? Oh, I would say I could probably pause my notifications for sure with my email inbox. And then I could, I think the way that I uh, especially get involved in these these news resources collection um, is through Twitter, and that is just designed to keep you scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. So I could remove myself from that particular website and find another strategy for, for collecting news. You're so good. Great <laughs> job. So first is we identified how can we change habits? And if your identity is an outstandingly productive, effective, punctual writer, mm-hmm. we need to adopt the habits of that identity and create rituals or frequent activities and actions around that. Now, let's create an if-then statement. If my inbox just exploding, then you will do what? Then I will turn my notifications off. Awesome. Great. Now, if-then for the education. So if I am find myself spiraling on education on Twitter, then... Then I will log off and uh, switch to another method. Love it. And so now you know you've identified your potential barriers, outcomes, and you created 
the backup plan, and which takes less thinking and energy, you'll be much more likely to do it. Mm-hmm. Great. So let's switch gears a little bit, and we've touched on this for sure. Uh, but I know that personally, and I definitely know of other people that have been dealing with increased stress and anxiety from not just this work arrangement, but also the entire pandemic situation. It's a tough time. People are afraid of getting sick. They're concerned about friends and family. They're afraid of losing their jobs, worried about paying the bills. What are some strategies for dealing with those feelings? Oh, okay. This is an incredibly demanding, challenging trying time for the entire world. I, too, experienced tremendous stress and came face to face with many fears, fears of finances, fears of my savings, fears of scarcity of food and resources, Mm -hmm. fears around change, the unknown, uncertainty, health, the loss of loved ones, the loss of freedom. So I too know intimately those feelings that I want to give everyone permission to feel. And that's part of being human, is to have feelings. Now, I'd like to introduce you to a very powerful statement given to me by my mentor, who is a psychologist for over 40 years. Mm -hmm. He said, okay, the link is what you think. Here's the fact. Events happen in our lives. Those events lead to thoughts, interpretations, judgments, or beliefs about the events. Those thoughts lead to your feelings, your emotions. And those emotions ultimately lead to your actions and reactions. Number one, events. Number two, thoughts. Number three, feelings, number four, actions and reactions, which leads to number five, your reality. This says, if you're feeling or acting or reacting in a way that's not serving you, and it doesn't serve those around you, you can go back into your thoughts. Changing your thoughts will change the way you feel and change the way you ultimately act and react. So your emotions are telling you Something about how you're thinking. What I decided to do when I was experiencing fear and anxiety and worries and overwhelm is I changed my thoughts. First, I started to think, wow, how grateful that I get to be a wellness professional at this time in human history with skills, knowledge, and tools to be able to support people, which helped me feel differently. And here's... The big question I invite us all to ask ourselves, who do you want to be in crisis? Who do you want to become during this time? Who do you want to be not only for yourself and to grow, but who do you want to be for the people around you? The world needs more healthy, optimistic, calm, productive, creative human beings. And if you're feeling in a way that's preventing you from serving and being productive, and moving forward, those are unhealthy negative feelings because they're stopping you, they're paralyzing you, and they're causing you a great deal of suffering. It is 100% healthy to feel. And when those feelings are not serving you anymore and the people around you, you get to change them. 
A great practice is to identify a negative emotion. And Kate, if you'd like to participate with me, uh-huh. you can share one of your most common negative emotions during this time. Uh, I would say it's it's worry, worry that yeah, worry that I'm I'm far from my family who live on the East Coast, whereas I live in Chicago, so that I won't be able to see them if they get sick. Kate, what I hear you sharing is something a incredibly vulnerable, and I want to just thank you for the whole audience for being so courageous to share how you really feel mm-hmm. at a deep level. And I believe every single person, myself included, with my family across the country and all spread out, can totally relate. And that means we don't feel alone and we feel a little bit more, a little more relieved. So thank you for being brave. Now, what's the opposite feeling of worrying? I would say it's affection for my family, I guess. You get to... Cure the worry with affection. And what's an action that you can take to feel that way or embody that or experience affection for family members? Probably increasing the amount that I'm talking to them or uh, interacting with them in some way. Are there things uh, even different than that that could show you're, you're thinking of them, you care about them, you love them? Yeah, I could suppose I could, I don't know, send them things. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm trying to think of things that are different from what we usually do, yeah. Absolutely. My mom sent me a care package, what, uh, which was incredibly sweet. And people send cards, letters, pictures, audio messages, songs, videos, a random gift. There is no limit. Mm-hmm. So how does that feel? Is when you feel your feeling of worry, A, what what are you thinking? Yeah, it just feels kind of uh, nerve-wracking and mm-hmm. disturbing, I guess. <laughs> totally. So what's a healthier, more productive, positive coping thought that would prevent the worry? That my family is here for me and I'm here for them, even if it's uh, at a distance. How do you feel after saying that out loud? That feels a little bit better. <laughs> a little bit better. Yeah. So first, so beautiful, you're using these steps. So Kate feels the worry. She pauses and she says, wait, what did I just think that helped, that caused me to feel worry? Okay, well, what's a more healthy thought that can make me feel a little bit better? Great. Now, what's the opposite feeling of worry? Well, it's affection, appreciation. I can do that right now. Uh-huh. And I can go ahead and send a message. I can go send a book. I can write a letter. I can take a picture of me and my dog and my boyfriend. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're moving forward and you're feeling differently. Uh-huh. Lastly, Kate, in this in this area for everyone, not only do we want to be in the present moment, right now, everybody is healthy and safe. Right now, if you can breathe, If you have food, if you have water available to you, if you have clothing, if you have shelter or warmth, if you have love in your life, all your needs are met. The practice of gratitude is incredibly powerful. There are so many blessings that are happening and so many good things in the world and in your life right now. I had a client just tell me that anytime he starts to feel anxiety, he knows that 5,000 people that passed away would change their position with him in a heartbeat. 
and that makes him laugh at his worries and his anxieties. And so put yourself in a state of appreciation, enjoyment in the present moment, gratitude. That's how we end suffering. So worries go away when you start to think about what you're grateful for. Take one minute and write down or say out loud all the things you're grateful for. You will shift the worries. Ah, last thought. Move stress into service. If you're feeling stressed or negative emotions, do something about it. Take an action that can help somebody else, that can make the world a healthier, happier, more productive, calm place. And notice how that shifts you. And that's a very empowering thought. Mm. Uh, So finally, what would you consider the most important factors when it comes to fostering wellness during this period of isolation and uncertainty? Does this have to be our last question? I'm having such a good time with everyone. (laughs) I wish it didn't have to be, but do you have a time limit? (laughs) Okay. So the first is there's three cornerstones to coping that I read in a Wall Street Journal article titled Tips on Staying Sane When the World Isn't. Mm -hmm. Three things to do every day. The first is called mastery, which is setting realistic goals. Have small realistic goals that you set and you focus on each day to feel accomplished, productive, and in control. Number two is pleasure. Enjoying, don't wait to live. Don't wait to experience joy. Don't wait to laugh and dance and connect and sing until all of this is completely resolved. That's, this is your invitation. Do not wait. Life is too short. So experience pleasure. That could be a, a delicious tea. It could be the sunshine on your face. It could be a great song while you dance with your uh, coworker remotely uh, at 3 p.m. Enjoy some sort of pleasure, something that delights you. And number three is connection. Connect with either anybody in your home, connect with yourself, connect with nature, and connect outside of your scope. Reach out and connect with somebody, friends, family members, old colleagues. So those are the three things that are mentioned in the article. In terms of your wellness, There's what's called the four doctors. This is what I coach my clients on. These are the four, the last four doctors you'll ever need. It is Dr. Quiet. This is sleep, rest, introspection, meditation, naps, quiet alone time. Dr. Diet, everything you eat, drink, the qualities and frequencies. Dr. Movement, stretching, exercise, physical activity, hikes, bike rides, walks, moving your body. And the fourth is Dr. Happiness, which is living in alignment with your goals. It's also creating happy making activities for you. If you do not know what brings you happiness, here's a great opportunity. Make a list of 10 different things that bring you happier. And schedule those and make them regular in your life. So what I have clients do is they rate their four doctors, quiet, diet, movement, and happiness on a scale of one being low, ten very high, very fulfilled, doing great. They rate them, and then the lowest scored doctor or doctors, Mm -hmm. we assign one inspired action. 
So let's say Dr. Quiet is the lowest. My inspired action is to turn off the news at 9 p.m. so I can start to relax and unwind and get to bed earlier, which would help me feel less stressed, uh, more energized, and more productive. And then lastly is the six foundational principles for optimal wellness. Number one is hydration. Make sure you're getting optimal water because your brain and body is primarily made up of it. And it's very stressful when you're drinking too many diuretics or things that dehydrate you, like sodas, caffeine, coffees, alcohol. Number two is nutrition. Make sure that you're eating regular meals. This can help you create structure within your day. Schedule your your meals so that you can fuel yourself while you're taking care of everyone else in the household. And make sure you're including fat, fiber, protein, in those meals. We want to avoid just eating carbohydrates or eating when you're not hungry. There's a lot of emotional and stress eating going on. Sleep. We want to get more than seven hours of sleep per night and optimal bedtime is between 10 and 10.30 p.m. Start turning your bedtime back in as little as 15-minute increments. Earlier bedtime by 15 minutes helps you adapt, gives you 15 more minutes of sleep, and helps you get closer to the optimal bedtime. Movement. Make sure you're getting optimal and appropriate amount of movement for your body, whatever that may look like. From exercise to yoga, there's so many online resources and different ways to get outside and move your body. Breathing. Most people are hypoventilating, breathing through their chest and their neck and mouth, especially when they're stressed. Take time to breathe deeply through your nose and your belly. Helps to slow down stress give you energy, and can be connected with a more quiet, calm mind. Your breathing mirrors your body and your mind. Slower you breathe, the slower your body and mind. And lastly, thinking, number six. If you have stinking thinking, negative thoughts, it's going to create negative emotions or stress, which is going to create lots of havoc and challenge to an already challenging time. So those would be the three coping cornerstones, the four doctors, and the six foundational principles. Those sound great. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Lance. I really think that our audience will appreciate your injection of positivity. I appreciate you, Kate, and I appreciate everyone doing their very best to be their best self when the world needs it the most. I'll be adding this podcast episode and therefore your recommendation to ALA's coronavirus response page, which has all sorts of resources for handling our new normal. That includes webinars, virtual meetings, legal management articles, and more. It'll be linked in the show notes. I also appreciate our listeners and subscribers for tuning in. As always, you can learn more about ALA at alanet.org. Until next time.